Welcome to the BSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy podcast. And I think those that listen regularly know that Phil, my technology and transitional energy analyst, is on holiday. But I'm delighted to have a very special guest with me today, who um, is Sam French. And he is the business development director at Johnson Matthey, uh, but specializes in hydrogen. And he also sits on the Hydrogen Council Management Board and I think chairs the UK Hydrogen Advisory Work. I'm told that he is the man that knows more about hydrogen than anybody else in the world. So, Sam, welcome. Hi there, Andrew. Thank you. Um, maybe not so sure about the last statement, but we'll, we'll, we'll uh, do what we can to help you. Well, um, hydrogen's a, a subject that a lot of people maybe think they know a lot about, but actually when you start talking to them, they often don't know as much as they think they do. But I don't know if you've got any more that you'd like to say about your, your background um, before we kick off into a chat about hydrogen. I mean, I've given you a very quick introduction. Is there anything else you'd add to that? Yeah, so I've been working at Johnson Matthew for about 17 years now. I uh, started in much more of a technical role, um, but more recently been working in business development focused in the last four or five years on our strategy around low carbon hydrogen. So Johnson Matthey's a, a FTSE 100 company based in the UK, about 15,000 people globally, um, a sustainable technology company. And I think what's key is that we focus on where our capabilities fit best and what our competencies are. And really that's around catalysis, um, how we utilize uh, precious metals as effectively as possible, how we develop products that work for our customers. So a lot of what I do is work in partnership, um, building partnerships with key customers. And we often will be providing components into those, um, into our customers' end products. So we have a number of areas in uh, the hydrogen area that we're, we're focused on. Um, we will undoubtedly have to talk a little bit about the colors of hydrogen. <laughs> yes. Uh, a lot of what I initially did was focused on blue hydrogen. Um, and in that space, Johnson Matthey has a, a leading, a world leading technology. Um, what we do there, if you want to think about it, is to provide a blueprint. So Johnson Matthey doesn't own and operate hydrogen plants and make hydrogen, but we provide the technology package that would allow uh, an engineering procurement construction company to then build that asset for, uh, for an end user, owner, operator. Um, we've had some really good support in that area from UK government. Uh, we were uh, successful in bidding for funding through the hydrogen supply competition. And we're involved in two uh, world leading projects. The most advanced is called HiNet up in the northwest of the UK. That project's just getting to the end of front end engineering design. So that means we, they've, we've provided a blueprint for the process and that's from natural gas in at one end to CO2 and hydrogen out at the other with multiple unit operations in between that convert natural gas to hydrogen and CO2. Um, and we've worked then with an engineering, an EPC company, an engineering company to, to really define the, um, to do the detailed engineering that would allow that project to be built. We're working with a number of companies, um, 
SR is like is the owner operator and the plant would be on the Stanlow refinery uh, up in the northwest. Progressive Energy is the project developer and then a company called SNC Lavalan or more recently now that area has been bought by a company called Kent who will do the, the, the actual build of that project. I mean, just picking up on that point, as you say, there's, there's lots of colours. You've mentioned blue and green there. There's grey. I mean, at the moment, it appears also there's a slight um, gap between what the UK is trying to do and their colour of hydrogen, what Europe's trying to do and their colour of hydrogen. Um, I mean, how do you see the spectrum of colours in hydrogen and how do you see them in terms of, first of all, one of the word greenness, that's rather pointed towards green rather than the other colours, but also the economics of it all? Uh, absolutely. So um, to be clear, Johnson Matthew, we have both a green hydrogen business and uh, a, a blue hydrogen business, as well as supplying catalysts into the existing grey hydrogen market. So we have a very good oversight. Now you can start including other colours. Uh, people talk about pink hydrogen when it's uh, uses nuclear as the, the the source of electricity but again that would rely on the same technology to actually produce the hydrogen that's currently considered as green hydrogen mm. um what do we think we think we're going to need all of them and we're going to need lots of all of them um and really what we should be talking about rather than colors is carbon intensity so what's the co2 footprint for these processes and we should include when we're doing that uh, all of the emissions involved, not just at the site of production, but upstream emissions as well. So you're right that uh, the UK in the recently launched hydrogen strategy that came out mid-August is following a twin track approach, um, supporting both blue and green and other sources of uh, hydrogen. And what they're looking at at the moment is um, consulting on the low carbon hydrogen standard and it will be this standard which uh, allows the different production routes access to government subsidy. What we certainly view is that that bar should be high. We shouldn't be producing hydrogen um, with high CO2 emissions. We certainly see the existing grey hydrogen business will reduce over time as assets come to the end of life and these will be replaced by I think predominantly blue and green hydrogen but other colors as well but we really need that high bar to make sure this is a real real net zero technology. Have we got to a stage though yet where it's economically viable because I mean you know obviously what a lot of people are talking about at the moment is the big wind farms you know basically taking water and splitting it. It's such an easy one equation, isn't it? H2O and you split out hydrogen and the oxygen. And clearly that's, you know, very green. There's no carbon involved at all. Um, but the cost of that is still really expensive, isn't it? So that's correct. So that's why, again, why we think a twin track approach is the right way with blue hydrogen being uh, in the near term, a, a lower cost solution than green hydrogen, but that we should be investing in green hydrogen to drive down the price and the price for green hydrogen will be driven down by expansion in the supply chain so automated manufacturing for example as well as technology advancements and that's something that Johnson Matthew are concentrating on both how we scale up production 
and also how we reduce the cost by techno through technical uh, advances. Mm. Also, I think scale is important because blue hydrogen, the project I mentioned earlier, HiNet is of the order of 300 megawatts. Um, so that's probably an order of magnitude larger than the, the largest green hydrogen project in the world. And we're already in discussions with potential customers around projects that could go up to one gigawatt. Now, you also mentioned offshore wind. I think it's really important to understand that in the UK, we have deployed a lot of offshore wind. The earlier deployments were at a high price. The strike price the government negotiated was high compared to electricity that you produce, for example, using natural gas through a turbine. But what we've seen by that deployment and the scale up of that uh, industry, the increase in size of offshore wind turbines is a real a cost down in the, in the unit cost of electricity. We would anticipate seeing similar kind of cost downs in hydrogen, but you have to deploy, you have to start building the industry, the supply chain to be able to get the, the, the reduction in cost that we need to make hydrogen a competitive solution for net zero. Mm. And just, I mean, just finally on, on the colours, before we move on to some of the things you just brought up there, perhaps. I mean, obviously with blue hydrogen, you're you're splitting natural gas, so it's carbon and hydrogen into effectively uh, hydrogen, and then you've got CO2 emissions, which obviously with blue, you then, um, you, you basically store it into some sort of carbon capture form. Uh, I mean, how advanced are we at the moment in the UK and all globally in order to, to do that process? And also, just my, my second question on that is, the natural gas you're going to be coming on, is it all just going to be local natural gas wherever you are in the world? Or are we going to end up with this situation where actually you're going to end up importing LNG? And of course, that has massive carbon emissions in its own right. I mean, so i.e. how blue is the blue? Or is it actually sort of, as you say, a completely different colour? Um, right. First point around carbon capture and storage. Um, there have been carbon capture and storage facilities operating in Europe, particularly out in the, uh, the Norwegian continental shelf for well over 20 years. Um, they've captured tens of millions of tons of CO2, monitoring that that r remains where it is. So that's a well-known technology. It hasn't been established here in the UK. Um, there were there are well publicised um, funding rounds that were cut uh, very after a lot of work and money had been put in, but the UK is very well placed for carbon capture and storage, which is another reason that the government is following this twin track approach, uh, either out in kind of Liverpool Bay area or up in the North Sea, where we can reuse existing infrastructure from the oil and gas industries, as well as skills, people, jobs, um, and could well be one of the, the world leaders in carbon capture and storage. So I think it's, it's a bit of a myth that it's not well developed, but it hasn't been uh, as yet uh, deployed here in the UK. But we, you know, we work with global companies who have a lot of experience in that space. Yeah, I guess I was, I was thinking the UK in particular there. Um, yeah, you're right. a bit behind the curve. 
Yeah, no, you're right. But we can leverage, and yeah. you know, some of the large companies working on UK hydrogen projects are those that are involved in these other projects around the globe. Mm. Okay, the so where are we going to get the gas from? Yeah, the second point's really important. Um, back to the comment around uh, the low carbon hydrogen standards, upstream emissions are critical. But we anticipate uh, a lot of the blue hydrogen produced in the UK, if not most, all of it will come from either existing North Sea UK or in from Norwegian pipelines. Is that the same all around the world? Maybe not, you know, but and I think it is critical that if we are making blue hydrogen, for example, in the US from shale gas, that we are working on how you drive those emissions down. And you'll see a lot of the oil and gas companies are very much focused on reducing methane emissions through their uh, through their systems. Uh, we are fortunate here in the UK in that the gas we have is some of the cleanest. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, and there's an interesting question, of course, if we are going to do a lot of that sort of creation, you know, do we actually, and I'm, by the way, I'm not asking you to get into this quite a political subject, is whether we start fracking for gas again as well, because of course, potentially the UK has a huge amount of, of gas that could be fracked, but is not at all popular at the moment. Um, but anyway, look, I think that's that's been really useful, just identifying how you see the different um, colours of the gas. Maybe we could just move on a little bit to, um, I suppose, one of the, the big questions that also people are asking about the whole sort of, you know, politicians stand up and go, we're going to have this hydrogen economy. It's a great giveaway phrase. But where do you actually see the hydrogen economy sitting in the whole transitional energy revolution? Because it won't all be hydrogen. I mean, for instance, you know, my own personal view, but I'm happy if you disagree with me, is that cars will never basically take off in hydrogen. They will go the battery route, whereas trucks and buses and actually potentially aircraft as well could go the hydrogen route. But where where do you see the sort of the hydrogen route going? What areas will it, is it most likely to land in? So it's a very uh, live question, clearly. Um, what we see is that there, is, there, there are sensible areas where you would focus your hydrogen on initially. Um, there are some other areas that there's more work to be done. Um, so to start with, industrial high temperature heating is an area we see hydrogen as the natural replacement for natural gas and there aren't many other options and in some extent the department of business energy and industrial strategy here in the uk have made a call that that's where they'll start other segments such as domestic heating uh, whether we go to hydrogen boilers or heat pumps i think it's a bit more of an open debate so we need more learning we need to be be able to understand better what the emissions are and what the costs are to consumers. I also don't think this is a one size fits all and you can have sweeping statements that all heating will be heat pumps, for example. I an anticipate we will need multiple solutions to achieve net zero. Also, regional solutions may well fit better for one or the other. So we need to keep options open. The more tools we have to decarbonize, the better. I agree with you as well. If I was looking at buying a small uh, car for passenger car for you know standard urban type travel, I would buy a battery electric vehicle. If I had a taxi fleet, I would be much more considering getting a fuel cell. 
vehicles. So it depends on the usage patterns. Then, as you mentioned, heavy duty vehicles, I think, are a very good fit for hydrogen, as well as things like branch line trains that aren't electrified that run on diesel today. Um, maritime, we're seeing more and more interest in the use of potentially not direct hydrogen, but a hydrogen carrier such as ammonia or methanol. And then equally, when we start talking about aviation, really, we're talking about sustainable aviation fuels. So it could be a, a biojet fuel, but you need a lot of hydrogen to make those. So that also drives the, the hydrogen economy. But just on one point there, actually, I mean, because, I mean, in some ways, you know, some and some people do get this sort of impression that you can just sort of switch gas to hydrogen and, you know, and, and for, take certainly residential. Some people sort of say, oh, well, we'll just pump hydrogen down all the pipes instead of natural gas and it'll all be carry on as, as it was before. And we're all green. It's not it's not it's not quite as simple as that, is it, though? So. There are uh, there's work to be done. Absolutely sure. Um, there have been trials that have been performed uh, in in domestic settings, blending up to 20 percent hydrogen by volume. That's only a partial step, um, but current boilers, burners, cookers can all deal with that uh, that level of blending. Hydrogen ready boilers are in existence today. Um, and would require only a very minimal change to the burner to move from 100% natural gas to 100% hydrogen. The gas distribution network that goes to your house, which is now all got polyethylene piping, is capable of taking 100% hydrogen. The piece that needs more, a little bit more work, but people are looking at it, are the high pressure transmission system, um, which is the kind of backbone as it were and whether that's suitable currently for 100% hydrogen or it needs some work but a lot of projects by the gas distribution networks um, there's a hydrogen house up in Spade Adam up in the, the north of England up in Gateshead they're looking at a hydrogen um, village and hydrogen road to provide these proof statements both all the way through from safety, through public uh, consumer acceptance, pricing, uh, as well as dealing with the, the, the volumes of gas that would be required uh, and the storage that's needed. Mm. So it's Let's not- uh, There's a, an interesting question, storage. It's certainly something that at VSA Capital on our podcast, we, we talk about a lot actually, uh, partially because we, we discuss energy storage in full stop an awful lot because of batteries and that sort of thing but I mean hydrogen is not an easy gas to store and actually you do need specialist storage facilities don't you it's not like a you know if you've got one of those sort of you know a barbecue gas container you can't really keep hydrogen in one of those you need specialist containers don't you it is so in a in a fuel cell vehicle you have a carbon fiber tank um, which contains the compressed hydrogen um so yes, in that area, but it's not a dramatic change from the large scale um, storage solutions. So people are talking about how you convert natural gas storage. You probably have seen conversations around the rough storage, about which can take large volumes of natural gas. Yeah, we but something like have... rough is, is huge. I mean, that's, that's yes. a whole sort of gas storage cavern. Um, and that's a very different kettle of fish. I'm talking about, you know, suppose, for instance, you, you need to have 
uh, gas at what would become, let's call them energy storage stations rather than petrol stations, but where you may have your EV chargers and some gas. In those, I mean, the, 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 the cylinders you're going to keep your gas in, I mean, you could be talking up to sort of 700 bar pressure uh, to store it. And that is a very specialist cylinder, isn't it? It, it is more of a specialist cylinder, but in the overall scheme of things, it's, a, it's, it's not the biggest technical issue. People are also looking at ways of storing um, hydrogen in, in different forms, so in chemical bonds, for example. Um, when they're looking at talking about shipping, there are good questions about whether it should be liquefied hydrogen or it should be ammonia or methanol as the route to store um, because you can get higher energy densities. But there are already a you know, large number of hydrogen refueling stations in the world, all of which will have um, storage solutions allowing that 300 or 700 bar hydrogen to be stored. So technically, not the biggest challenge. Again, you know, listening to you, there's still quite a lot of, should we call it, challenges to to get over. Uh, and that does tend to suggest that the hydrogen economy perhaps is not quite as close as maybe some politicians would certainly like it. You know, we're probably talking at least another sort of five to ten years, it sounds, before we really ramped up. Whereas probably at the moment, the sort of, the battery energy storage world, which is totally compatible with hydrogen, by the way, but is the other side of it to a certain extent, is probably getting there a little bit quicker. Would that be fair to say? I think hydrogen's been a little behind, and some of that is because of the fact that it plays into multiple different industries, so it's a bit more complex. But I think what we've seen with the uh, net zero mandates coming out is an absolute uh, requirement for hydrogen to be part of that solution. So what we're certainly talking about is needing to deploy and ramp quickly. I think we'll see the first large-scale blue hydrogen projects uh, up and operational by 2025 in the UK and soon after in other countries. We are seeing more focus now on heavy-duty vehicles and deployment of the infrastructure required for refueling. So I think we're going to see a fast acceleration through the 2030s, uh, sorry, through the 2020s uh, to, to, to the point that we can get large scale deployment in the 2030s. Actually, one element that would be interesting to look at is the uh, roadmap for deployment that was in the, the uh, hydrogen, UK hydrogen strategy, which gave a comprehensive overview of by across all of the sectors of what needed to be done during the 2020s to allow us really to deploy at scale in the 2030s. So it's going to happen in the next few years. We're going to see the first plants hit the ground. Green hydrogen the same. We're going to see large scale facilities coming online soon. Um, but then the ramp up required after that is you know, we need to do the learning this decade to position ourselves as best possible going forward, understanding that this isn't hydrogen or electrification. This is a requirement for both and that they are both, as you mentioned, very complementary in a, in a drive towards net zero. Yeah, OK, I, I mean, I, they are very complementary. Just Again, on a very general point, we're trying to keep it relatively general. I mean, I think that the I mean, in the UK, we do have one or two quite 
um, successful fuel cell companies. There's been ITM and Ceres that I think are, are actually world leaders. But would you say the UK is is up there as a world leader in hydrogen or are there other areas of the world that you think actually, you know, they're ahead of us, we need to catch up with them? Because um, actually, I, I can't, I think the UK probably isn't doing badly. So quickly, ITM uh, is an electrolyzed company and Ceres Fuel Cells and Johnson Matthews also fuel, uh, invested heavily in fuel cells as well as green and blue hydrogen. We have world leading technology providers. Um, what our conversation often with government is about that the UK does have the opportunity to be a world leader. We have some of the key ingredients. We have the technology companies, we have the skills coming out of the oil and gas industry, we have uh, good clean natural gas, we have the opportunity to do carbon capture and storage, we have low cost renewables um, in terms of offshore wind. So we have a lot of the ingredients. Now what we need is the, uh, the strategy, which we've now just seen, to be followed by the business models, which really allow us to create a UK supply chain, both for deployment in the UK and then also for export globally. When we look at what else is happening in the world, um, historically California was very much uh, at the forefront, driven um, through uh, transport, through um, vehicles and the number of fueling stations, but that dropped back. But we've recently seen under their infrastructure fund that there's a lot more focus back on hydrogen um, and how that, that can be deployed in, in the US. Japan and Korea have uh, consistently been at the forefront of hydrogen um, with policies, state engagement, uh, as well as um, large manufacturers of, of vehicles, for example, uh, and we see them still continuing. China, uh, there has been significant uh, increase in interest around hydrogen and fuel cells in China, again, a lot driven by clean air. Johnson Matthew have uh, recently invested in manufacturing assets for our fuel cell business in China, because we're seeing a lot of activity, particularly in buses uh, uh, and heavy duty vehicles. And the EU, um, equally, again, you mentioned earlier that there's much more of a focus on green hydrogen in Europe, which is correct. But we're also seeing them looking at kind of um, continental pipelines, uh, blue hydrogen projects, as well as green hydrogen, uh, and large announcements of funding. But I would say the UK hydrogen strategy that came out this summer is amongst the most detailed uh, and actually has more comprehensive than those headline figures that we've seen um, from other countries. Mm. Sam, I tell you what, we, we've been talking now for nearly 30 minutes and we try and keep this podcast 30 minutes because we don't want to uh, overdo things, but maybe one final sort of question. Um, COP26 is coming up. I think it starts on the 31st of October, isn't it? Uh, in Glasgow, obviously. Um, presumably, you're hoping that hydrogen is right at the sort of the forefront of people's minds at that. And I mean, is there anything that you would say we could hope to see coming out of that that would give the hydrogen economy a big boost? 
Well, I think we've had a, a, a lot of support from UK government in terms of hydrogen and carbon capture and storage being firmly in the 10-point the plan. Uh, the recent drive to get the hydrogen strategy out are positive. In terms of announcements, I think the obvious ones for COP are the first carbon capture and storage projects in the UK that will be funded. Most of the, nearly all of those have a hydrogen plant as one of the anchor um, projects uh, involved. So that will be a clear signal that we're off and running in terms of the large blue hydrogen projects. But I'd also like to really see us focusing in on um, the opportunity that hydrogen gives across all colours, particularly for uh, jobs and skills and investment in areas of the UK which historically haven't had the level of investment. So uh, up in areas that are very uh, familiar with the kind of process chemical industries or offshore oil and gas, as these will be the real hubs going forward for, for our hydrogen production. Well, I, I hope you're right, because I think, you know, if we can become a, a world leader in hydrogen, as you say, we've got all the ingredients in this country. Uh, it would be fantastic for um, everybody, to be honest with you, because it's always good to be a world leader. On that note, though, Sam, you know, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, if people have got questions following up from this, then please direct message uh, VSA Capital, and we'll feed them back into Sam or his colleagues at Johnson Matty, uh, which, by the way, I think is doing a lot of really interesting things at the moment, not just in hydrogen, but also in your whole battery division. I'm, I'm really quite excited by what Johnson Matty's uh, doing, and I think um, is well worth everybody having a revisit of what the company is doing. But thank you very much for coming and having a chat. It's been a delight to talk to you, and I hope we can talk again soon. Thank you.